for the choice of the nation. Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, our guest today is John Grinspan. John Grinspan is curator of the Division of Political and Military History at the Smithsonian in the National Museum of American History and will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program, May 25th, 2021. The title of John Grinspan's Zoom presentation is How to Break a Democracy, Lessons from an Age of Acrimony. Americans may claim we are more divided than we've been since the Civil War, but forget that the lifetime after that conflict saw the loudest, roughest political campaigns in our history. Presidential elections from the 1860s through the early 1900s produced the highest turnouts, the closest margins, and the most political violence. The period was marked by three presidential assassinations, two presidents who won the White House while losing the popular vote, and one impeachment. Widespread political participation and frustration went hand-in-hand until the reforms of the early 20th century traded that participation for civility. Join me and John Grinspan today as we discuss his new book, The Age of Acrimony, How Americans Fought to Fix Their Democracy, 1865 to 1915. One of the loudest, most violent elections in U.S. history. Hint, we're not talking about our most recent election either. We'll talk about what John Grinspan learned in his research of the book, that might give our audience reassurance that we as a country will move beyond this current political dysfunction. A great subject for today. Nearly every day while writing this book, I would walk across the National Mall. I'd pass tourists wearing Make America Great Again caps and protesters waving This Is Not Normal signs and head into the secure vaults of the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Beyond the recently collected riot shields and tiki torches, I would settle into the cool, quiet aisles that preserve the deep history of our democracy. There, century-old objects told a forgotten drama, more heated than anything we've seen. Torches from midnight rallies, uniforms from partisan street gangs, ballots from stolen elections, shifting between the fractious 21st century and those furious 19th century objects started to feel like digging at opposite ends of the same tunnel, struggling to connect in the dark. In between lay the norms of political behavior that most of us grew up with or imagined from America's more stable 20th century. But the objects on the other end of that tunnel seemed to cry out, your normal was abnormal. In our arguments over democracy, we have missed out on the most vital, most urgent, most relevant period in American history. 20th century America's expectations of restrained public politics were a historical outlier. That civility was an invention the end result of a brutal fight over the nature of democracy that raged across American life in the 1800s. The objects in the Smithsonian are wreckage from that conflict. The diaries and letters stored elsewhere are battlefield reports. We barely remember it, but this was the origin story of normal politics, the dirty tale of how democracy got clean. That, of course, is our guest today, John Grinspan, Smithsonian Associate and author of the new book, The Age of Acrimony, reading a passage from his book, The Age of Acrimony, How Americans Fought to Fix Their Democracy. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, author, historian, curator, and Smithsonian Associate, John Grinspan. John Grinspan, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you about this. I got to tell you, I am really excited to speak with you. I I read for a living. I get 
a chance to talk to all to a lot of really great authors like you, but this book in particular just captured my attention. We're going to get into it. It's really wonderful. The title is The Age of Acrimony, and we'll talk a lot about it, but we'll talk also about your upcoming two-part Smithsonian Associates presentations, and I wonder if you'd tell us briefly about those and uh, maybe how you're going to use Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom these days, and so maybe give us a little bit of uh, brief on on what you'll be talking about at your Smithsonian Associates presentations. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm a curator of political history at the Smithsonian. National Museum of American History. And one of the great things that means is that we have plenty of props. We have all these these objects from, you know, the Abe Lincoln election and Teddy Roosevelt campaigns and the kind of material history of our democracy that can, can kind of seem theoretical or statistics or up in the air. We have we have this stuff. So I think I'll try to anchor this, these talks on how to uh, break a democracy and then how to fix democracy, kind of the, the arc of American political history from the 1860s into the 20th century through these objects, through the, the ballots and the torches and the uniforms that were once the kind of the living, breathing material of our politics and our democracy and, and try to try to tell the, the audience a story that's a once kind of a little upsetting and a little calming about how how our politics have gone wrong in the past and how we've managed to reform and, and correct them. Also, I think there's there's a lot of relevance today in the sense that we're all deeply concerned about our democracy, but there's also an important lesson about how things can be righted. And, and it's not, apocalypse isn't inevitable. There's this deep history of reform in American politics, too, that I'd like to, to explore with viewers. That's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, good. Good to have you point that out. Uh, apocalypse is not not imminent. Uh, we're we're appreciative to hear that. Absolutely. the The book, as I say, is is wonderful, and I and I want to just jump right in because you write about this period, this 1865 period, as being, you know, almost the Gilded Age. It was one of excess, and you also go on to say that it was a period, obviously, without social media, without digital media, without television. And yet the election cycles during that period were among the loudest, closest, most violent elections in U.S. history. And so I want to just start right off with a question about the January 6th insurrection and ask you, what do you make of that mob episode by comparison to the 19th century elections that were the loudest, closest and most violent? I mean, January 6th was tremendously upsetting for us all. I, I live on mm-hmm, Capitol mm-hmm. Hill and, and I, I attend political events and I go to everything from Trump rallies to Sanders rallies, the whole political spectrum. Um, the next day I walked down to the, the mall and to the, the Capitol and, and spoke with some people and looked for objects to collect. Eventually the Smithsonian did get some incredible objects from that day, but it, it was clearly a step beyond anything we we're, anyone alive is used to in American politics. I mean, you can see some of the roots in, in what happened in Charlottesville in 2017, but it, it it's clearly a break with anything we're used to, but that doesn't at the same time mean that it's unprecedented in its kind of scale or violence or anything. That even, even bearing in mind what happened then and, and as awful and upsetting as it was, we've seen nothing compared to what people experienced in, in 19th century politics when you know, literally thousands of people died in political violence and across elections in the second half of the 19th century with the actually essentially terrorism used to suppress black voters in the South with the, the fighting over, over labor rights and then uprisings in, in Northern industrial cities with political machines and party bosses who used assassination and beatings to kind of get their way. We, as, as, 
concerned as we should be about our current moment, it's a little uplifting to know that things used to be worse. And there's more important than kind of letting ourselves off the hook by saying things used to be worse. I think we can look back at that history, look back into kind of the darkest periods in American democracy, by my count, and um, and and take some kind of consolation from the past. That I think that perspective can help us in the present, even if it doesn't give us a you know, path to solving our problems tomorrow. I think understanding the tendencies, as they used to call them in our democracy, can can help us, you know, find a way out of our current moment. Mm-hmm. Why were we so divided in that period? Voter turnouts were remarkably high, and yet there was a lot of division. It does mirror what's going on today. But what was it that led to this particular period? Was it only the Civil War? Were there other things that were going on? I'd say there's something bigger than the Civil War, even, which is, um, is in a way a big claim because the Civil War is huge. But uh, I'd say the forces that divided Americans back then are in many ways the forces that are dividing Americans now. That living in a disrupted society, a, a shaken society of a lot of economic and social and demographic change, living in a world of economic inequality, these things kind of drive people towards tribes and then towards some kind of membership. And just, just as people who, who maybe have some kind of anxieties today are gravitating towards partisanship and tribal politics, in the 19th century, this is an incredibly shaken era. There are huge numbers of people are emigrating from Europe, from Ireland, from Germany, from Russia, from Italy. Many more are moving from small towns to cities. Many people who grew up with families and small towns and agriculture are working in industry and kind of anonymous factories. The economy is going through these boom and bust cycles. There are all these huge social changes. There are technological innovations every few years that are upending Americans' lives. There are all these things that are shaking Americans and disrupting their lives and leaving them feeling isolated. And when people feel isolated, they look for community. And the community that needed and wanted members back then were the political parties. So you know, there weren't that many other institutions that wanted your help, but the political parties wanted you. If you could vote, they wanted you to vote for you. If or for them, um, they wanted you to go drink in their saloons and march in their parades and hand out ballots. And sometimes they wanted you to throw bricks at the rival party or, or intimidate voters. And, and so these people who are really disrupted and looking for some kind of anchor, needy, vulnerable people, gravitated to the parties as the biggest identity and membership. And those that partisanship drove up turnout. And so the ugliness of that era also drove up engagement, which is kind of the, the flip coin of the other side of this era. The, the, the thing we have to grapple with often in democracy is that ugly politics make for high participation. And so this is an era when people are participating and engaged in their democracy at great levels. People who could vote and also people who couldn't vote are still reading the newspapers and arguing over the issues and, and drinking in the saloons along with everyone else. Um, and they're, they're voting in huge numbers, too. So the, the kind of instability in life back then is really a, the problem that people are seeking a solution for when they join those political parties and turn out to vote. We are with John Grinspan. John Grinspan is the curator of political history at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. John Grinspan is the author of the new book, The Age of Acrimony, How Americans Fought to Fix Their Democracy and it covers the period 1865 to 1915. John Gritzman will be speaking at the Smithsonian Associates, a two-part series. And it really, I can't say enough, John Gritzman, about this book. I just loved it. it. It really is this portrait of a time that's not unlike today. And I 
was interested in in the news this morning about what's going on in Texas with regard to the new voting rules. Florida, I I found a quote that I thought was just was really an interesting one, and and it does mirror some of what of what you wrote. and And the quote was that the some of the new voting rules in Florida are a horrifying reminder of the fragility of democracy. I thought that was that was an interesting quote. I also in the book I really enjoyed the father daughter uh, story that you that you tell about the Kellys uh, about uh, um, uh, Flory and and her father and um, we certainly in this country have a history of father son duos but this one was unique and uh, I think it was Bill Kelly I think Pig. I can't remember exactly what he he's called. Pig iron, pig iron, pig iron <laughs> Kelly. He said, "Terrible times for timid people," and I I love that. But I wondered if you would tell us a little bit about the Kellys and why they were so significant and important. And then it, it seems to mirror a father and daughter combo of our day today, mm-hmm. even. Yeah, I you know you could tell this whole story of this disruptive kind of anxious, engaged but enraged democracy without any of these people in it. You could tell it as a story of statistics, and turnout numbers, and data, but I really believe that at the center of history, humans are at the center of history, and that, that we, to really understand the past, we have to see how these human relationships interact and evolve, and what it felt like to live through these eras. And so I stumbled upon the Kelly family because they, they're like a textbook through their, for their era. They're not all that well-known, but they were deeply significant, and their lives just touched on everything. Will Kelly, William Dara Kelly, was the father. He was a congressman from Philadelphia who was involved in the abolition movement, in the workers' rights movement, in women's suffrage, and in the uh, effort to grow America's industrial economy in the 19th century. And his daughter, Florence Kelly, was a prominent labor activist who, you know, helped to fight against child labor in the Gilded Age and Progressive Era and helped found the NAACP and kind of carried on her father's legacy into the 20th century. And, you know, they had a really interesting story. They survived assassination attempts and attacks and, and a lot of, you know, uh, mean, mean un, uh, unnecessarily hostile treatment in the press. And they lived through civil war and, and revolution and all these things. But their relationship with each other kind of provided a through line because Will basically said that he was going to raise his daughter to be a politician, even if she couldn't vote even if she couldn't hold office, because in the 19th century, obviously, women are denied the right to vote. He said, I'm going to raise her to be a politician, based on the model of Susan B. Anthony, who was a friend of his. And so he starts at a very young age, reading books with her about things like child labor and slavery, and really kind of training her to have a social conscious at a young age. And as she grows, their relationship grows, and they they work together with the kind of shared principle that the U.S. government can be a tool for good in the lives of vulnerable people in America. That might not sound so radical today, but but that was really radical at the time. And as they grew, their relationship with each other kind of mirrored what's going on in the democracy. In the years after the Civil War, when there's actually a lot of optimism about about, um, African-American voting rights, women's suffrage, about a kind of emancipated nation with a kind of a pure, fair democracy, They've got a really good relationship, and they're really close. But in the Gilded Age, when this political system starts to turn fairly ugly, they're kind of at each other's throats a little bit. And she she kind of grows in some ways to surpass him and and denounces him publicly. She becomes a socialist. She moves to Europe and befriends Friedrich Engels, who's running the Marxist movement at that point, and kind of badmouths him as, as, as not going far enough in his ideals. 
and they really reconcile right before he passes away. And then she carries on his legacy well into the 20th century. They say she was probably the most significant woman in American politics in the first third of the 20th century. And so for a hundred years, this father-daughter dynasty kind of tells the story of voting rights, of of um, racial issues, of workers' rights, of industrial growth, of so many aspects of American history. It's just this this one bond, this one kind of rocky relationship. So I, I found them a, just a fascinating way to kind of connect a lot of thoughts and tell a lot of stories. And they, they just knew everybody, and they were kind of funny and, and interesting and combative people. So they, they, they became kind of a natural way to tell the story. <laughs> it was really a fascinating uh, element of the story. I, I enjoyed it, too, because this was a father of, of many sons and a daughter and really felt the daughter had uh, the greater aptitude or the greater likelihood to kind of uh, join the family business, I say. Yeah, and he, he, he went out of his way to kind of pass over his sons who might not appreciate it so much and train this daughter. He would bring her with him to steel mills to see the working people who were building America. He would write her from Washington about legislation he was passing. And she she really got a training in, in becoming a, a kind of a public activist and public figure. And also both of them were kind of difficult people, which I like. They, they got in lots of scrapes. They made a lot of enemies. They, they were imperfect heroes. So they, they were fun to write about because of because of all the trouble they got themselves into over their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the book, The Age of Acrimony, How Americans Fought to Fix Their Democracy, covers the period 1865 to 1915. It's just excellent, John Grinspan. What surprised, in all of your research for the book, what surprised you most? Hmm. Yeah, I guess the thing that surprised me most, I knew a lot of the particulars about how turnout changes and how those elections looked. I guess the thing that surprised me most about this history and, and about the present is how much flexibility and room for change and difference there is in our democracy and in our political system over time. That we, we kind of assume that because we've had the same constitution for, for over two centuries, that things are fairly fixed. And there's a little bit of wiggle room, but this is how democracy looks. It's this kind of succession from the founders to us. But as I studied this era and saw this kind of seesawing between partisanship and civility, high turnout, low turnout, kind of tribalism, independence, all these forces changing over time, it I was surprised by how much flexibility and room for change and innovation and creating new problems, but also reforming new problems, there is built into this political system that seems fairly rule-bound. And I think we we all know this, honestly, ourselves in our guts, because we've seen politics change so much in our own lifetimes, right? And that's mostly been changes we're not happy with. But because those changes were possible, because the system could get worse, I also think there's a lot of reason to think it could get better. And we are not we're not locked into as many forms or inevitabilities as we think there are. I think this history shows that we can make reform, we can make change, and, you know, beneficial and, and harmful change are both possible. So I guess culture and humanity has, has more influence on our system than, than laws and rules, rules do in some ways. I guess that would be the thing that I kind of came out of this book realizing. Good. Well, John Grinspan, final question for you. I guess, how did that all end? How did that all wind up? And maybe you can tell our audience in such a way that might offer a bit of reassurance that we as a country are going to move beyond this current political dysfunction. Yeah, I think to, to answer that question, our sense of normal politics, as, as I said in that kind of reading in the beginning, is predicated on something that's actually an outlier, that the the world we consider normal democracy, the kind of low, low drama, maybe lower stakes, 
uh, elections of the 20th century, where there was more kind of civility and decent public behavior and lower partisanship. That's not something the founders invented and passed down to us. That's something that reformers a century ago deliberately created. People said they did not like this, this high partisan, violent, aggressive democracy, and they, they, they went about reforming it. They went about kind of not just through legal means, although there were some legal changes, they went about inventing a new culture. That a lot of the stories about the culture around politics, not what you can do legally, not what's in the Constitution, but how Americans use their democracy, what's acceptable behavior, what is unacceptable. And these reformers around 1900 look at this political system that is public, partisan, and passionate, and they just they, they make a goal of calming things down. They, they say they want it, instead of being public, they want it to be more private. Instead of being partisan, they want voters to be more independent. Instead of being passionate, they want people to be restrained. And they, they introduce these values of, of independence, restraint, kind of being your your own man and your own voter or your own woman and your own voter uh, that really help calm down this democracy. And things like political violence falls. There's, there's three assassinations of presidents in, in 36 years in the late 19th century. And then there's one in the next hundred years. A congressperson was killed, one sitting congressperson was killed every seven years in the late 19th century. In the 20th century, it's a really rare occurrence. It's one every 25 years. Uh, but along with political violence falling and partisanship falling, um, turnout falls too. And, and you kind of see this, this awkward situation in which a lot of the ugliness of politics is also getting people to engage in it more. And so as, as they calm their politics down and as they succeed in reforming it, they also turn off the switch on this really high turnout era. And interestingly, in our own era, we've seen divisiveness go up, turnout has gone back up. So that this 2020 election had the highest turnout since 1900. I mean, they've, Maybe in some ways we've stumbled upon those old forces that were making American politics engaging and enraging in the 19th century. But I do think the most important takeaway is that reform is possible. They, these reformers look at a culture they're not happy with, and they make deliberate self-conscious changes that make it look better in their eyes. Um, and we can do the same thing. We're not kind of uh, handed an inevitable uh, direction of our democracy and can't do anything about it. I think we have political system is more resilient and more manageable and, and directable than, than we give ourselves credit for, for seeing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. John Grinsman's been our guest today. John Grinsman will be at the Smithsonian Associates program coming up here. We're going to have links to where you can find out more information about the John Grinsman presentations. And the titles are How to Break a Democracy, Lessons from an Age of Acrimony. The title of John Grinspan's new book is The Age of Acrimony, How Americans Fought to Fix Their Democracy. John Grinspan, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you about this wonderful book. Thanks so much for your generous time. Good luck with, uh, with, with all of this, with the book. I just hope the book takes off and uh, it's been getting great reviews and I just enjoyed it so much. I just highly recommend it to our audience. And of course, the presentation will be wonderful too, but thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, Paul, oh, thank you for speaking in for the really thoughtful read and, and interest in everything. So thank you for having me on. My thanks to John Grinspan, who will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program May 25th, 2021 in a two-part series, and the title of John Grinspan's Zoom presentations is How to Break a Democracy, Lessons from an Age of Acrimony. More details are in today's show notes. Also, my thanks to the Smithsonian Associates team for all they do to support the show. My special thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe, practice smart social distancing, get the vaccine. <laughs> 
and talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. We'll go for the son of Kentucky, the hero of Hoosierdom through. The pride of the sucker so lucky for Lincoln and Liberty too.